0: What's really going on in the world of work today? And are robots getting ready to replace us all? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Executive Editor of Supply Chain Brain. And this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. to hear a lot of futurists tell it. Artificial intelligence, robotics, and automation are gradually but relentlessly putting humans out of work to the point where we will eventually have nothing left to do. Should we be sounding the alarm? Cheryl Cran doesn't think so. She's a workplace expert and author of Next Mapping, Anticipate, Navigate, and Create the Future of Work. AI may be taking over tasks, she says, but not necessarily jobs. In the retail world in particular, the nature of work is undergoing a dramatic shift, but to a future that still includes people. Today, we'll talk about what that future might look like, the impact of the gig economy, and how workers can and must take control of their own destinies in a world where lengthy employment is no longer assured. We'll also look at how reskilling and upskilling, which in the past have yielded disappointing results, can actually be made to work. So here is my conversation with Cheryl Cran. Cheryl Cran, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Cheryl, between the spate of retail bankruptcies that we've seen in the last several years and automation taking over human jobs, I almost have to wonder or ask the question, will employment in the retail industry become obsolete? What is your response to that question?
1: You know, it's a great question. And there is a lot of research that posits the automation and AI movement towards replacing jobs, but it's actually inaccurate There is research provided by MIT, Harvard, World Economic Forum that is saying to clarify that AI and automation is taking care of tasks but not jobs. And so in retail, yes, we're seeing self-checkouts we're seeing automation in that respect. But it's actually not taking jobs. There's still humans that are needed to add to the customer service element of what's happening. We're at the lowest unemployment rate in North America that we've been in since the 70s. And that trend is going to continue. So we're seeing a mixed message in media around loss of job when, in fact, there's a shortage of skilled workers for other jobs. So the opportunity is reskill and upskill. And in retail specifically, the nature of work is going to shift.
0: In fact, I'm sure you would insist in your book, Next Mapping, does insist that we prepare for the future of work. And there are a number of steps in that book that you would describe as being things that we can go in that direction. With, first of all, I'd like to start by asking you to define for me what is Next Mapping?
1: It's a process that helps people be ready for the future now. So our slogan is Mapping the How to be Future Ready Now. Whether you're working in retail, whether you're a CEO or a leader of an organization, whether you're an entrepreneur, it's helping people prepare for this future that is quickly changing due to technology, due to changing worker attitudes, due to industry shifts and disruptions. And so it's really a process that says, okay, where are you now? It's an assessment. What are the skills that you currently have? What are the skills you need in order to anticipate and navigate the future? And then how do you put that all together and map out and create your future? If I were in retail right now and worried about my future, it'd be an opportunity to go to the employer and say, what are you going to do to upskill me for this automated Mm -hmm. reality? Or if I wanted to take power myself, I would say, what do I need to learn in order to keep myself relevant for this fast-changing future?
0: Would that, of course, depend on where you are in that organization? If you're a checkout clerk in a retail operation, do you have the power or the ability to ask that question? Let's say you're a minimum wage or Mm near-minimum wage worker. Can can you go to top management and and say, what are you going to do to upskill me?
1: (laughs) Well, you can definitely go to your supervisor. And you mm-hmm. can say, look, things are changing. I see the shift towards automation. What does that mean for the the workers that you're keeping? What kind of skills do you need? What is my future job security? I think you can ask that question. And you can also ask, what is the company providing as far as training so that I can take advantage to be future ready? And I do feel that we are entering an era of shared leadership where regardless of where we are on the organization chart, whether we're a clerk or we're senior leadership, having that open dialogue around what does this really mean? I think one of the challenges in organizations is nobody's really openly discussing these changes, right? They're simply just, mm-hmm. here comes the self-checkouts, everybody, everybody's everybody got to adapt instead of, leadership sitting down with the organization, everybody in the organization say, here's where we're going. Here's what it means.
0: If anything, it's just it's an atmosphere just characterized by fear, at least on the part of the employees, and then the fear on the part of management not wanting to upset employees and not being quite sure how to even communicate with them. So maybe fear and and unpredictability on both ends is really ruling the, the world right now. right?
1: I think that's true. The hope with my book and with Next Mapping is that we can counter that fear with optimism and with hope and with tools. To create a different future.
0: We all love acronyms because they do help us to organize our thoughts and our plans for the future. You have what you call, I believe, the PREDICT model, and I take it that is an acronym. Would you describe that for me, please?
1: Yeah, the PREDICT acronym is it's part of the anticipate part of the book, and it's really a process to look at how do we, because there is no crystal ball. None of us knows what the future is going to hold. All we can do is look at the patterns and really look at what are the patterns, what are the repeat patterns, what are some of the things that we can do to be more ready. So the the PREDICT acronym stands for Patterns Recognition, Elevate, Direct, Investigate, Change, and Transform. With the patterns form, we're really looking at what are the patterns. So, for example, right now we know that there's a pattern of social change. People are changing the way they see work, the way they want to work, People are changing the way they interact with each other. People are changing the way they consume entertainment. So if we look at all those patterns and kind of go, what does that mean for the future? It leads to almost like an entrepreneurial mindset of what are the opportunities of these patterns? Then with the recognition is kind of recognizing, okay, what is the shift mean for us or for our business or for me personally? Then how do we elevate? Rather than get into fear, how do we elevate the possibilities? Then how do we direct our energy, our skills? How do we investigate what our next steps might be? And then the most, I think, challenging thing for most people psychologically is what do I need to change in order to be better prepared for the future? Do I need to change my mindset? Do I need to change my strategies? Do I need to change my education? Do I need to change my position in the company? Do I need to change my direction of where I'm going?
0: Probably a combination of yes to all those exactly. questions. I'm sorry, exactly. go on. And then the final,
1: the final is T for transform. That's where once we've done all those things, we transform our future into something different than before we used the PREDICT model.
0: Now, I think one of the big challenges here is there is no one thing called an employee because we have different generations in the job place. We still have baby boomers. We may be on our way out in that regard, but they're still there. And we have millennials and we have Gen Z and whatever you want to call the latest generation. Each of those generations has different expectations and approaches to the job and different levels of willingness to embrace the changes that you are talking about here. How do you deal with that? hmm.
1: So it's interesting you made the comment, the baby boomers and who knows how long they'll be around. They're actually going to be around a lot longer <laughs> because of the shortage of skilled workers. Baby boomers are actually set to extend their retirement date by at least a decade. Research has shown that the average age of retirement due to longevity and progress made in health, that the average baby boomer is probably going to work either part time on contract or full time until the age of 75. Now, the reason for that is a lot of the baby boomers are still supporting the lifestyle of their Gen X and millennial children. So Mm -hmm. this is an interesting trend that we're seeing. And the Gen X are the generation that squeezed between the baby boomers and the millennials. And Gen X is, is the smallest demographic currently in the workplace. But Gen X are the ones that actually started the whole trend towards life first, work second. Gen X were the ones who said, how can we work smarter, not harder And then millennials, who are the largest demographic, even larger than the baby boomers, they have greatly influenced the workplace and will continue to do so because millennials are saying, how can we leverage technology even more than we already have so that people can work on what they enjoy working on? versus doing repetitive, mundane tasks. And we Mm -hmm. can leverage the skills of people doing the work. And of course, one of the things I say is if you're afraid of millennials, be very afraid of Gen Zs, because those are the generation anyone under the age of 25, and they are completely shifting the paradigm of what it means to work. In fact, that generation is the biggest generation that wants to be part of an entrepreneurial gig economy, Mm -hmm. not necessarily working full time for a single employer, So a lot of change coming.
0: I want to ask you about that, the growth of contract workers, part-time workers, gig workers. How does all that relate to the ability to move forward with this preparing for the future? I would assume that this creates more flexibility among a workforce. Is that actually a positive trend that will help us achieve these goals?
1: It's a very positive trend. But of course, as you can imagine, it's creating major disruption in companies where the norm has been a nine to five or structured workplace. Mm -hmm. So for the workers, and, and we are really definitely living in a worker paradigm now, like the worker holds the power, not the employer, because the worker today has so much choice. The average millennial and Gen Z is saying, I'd rather be contracted and work for a number of organizations than be limited to working for one single organization. The positives of this is we have more workers with multidisciplinary intelligence. In other words, they've worked in a multitude of industries that they can bring those ideas together, and there's faster innovation across industry. The challenge for business and for workplaces is creating that balance between, because we'll never get rid of full-time established employee. That's going to be necessary for core business. But the mm-hmm. future workplace is going to be a combination of full-time core workers, part-time workers. And contracted workers. And we're seeing more and more of that as we move forward. For example, Amazon, all of their deliveries are contracted workers. Those are not Amazon employees. And so uh, Amazon's got an example of full-time workers, core business, part-time workers and contractors to help them scale the business.
0: Now, we're describing all this, though, against the backdrop of what is essentially a snapshot of the U.S. and global economy, which, of course, is going great guns right now, but we'll not forever be doing that because we understand that economic cycles are inevitable, and indeed, many are saying that the next recession is pretty close and coming, maybe just a year or two over the horizon. If that happens, how does that change this whole dynamic that you just described with respect to the way that the balance of power that you described, that workers have vis-a-vis employers.
1: You know what? Some of the greatest companies that have ever been created have been created in recessions. If you look at 2008, Snapchat, Twitter, a lot of these organizations that were sort of in the background took advantage of that so-called recessionary period. It's interesting that you say that. And yes, cyclical economies is very much a reality. And what we're seeing is that the shortage of workers issue is not going to go away with a recession Because right now I think there's something like 85 million worker opportunities with only 65 million people available to fill those opportunities. So I believe the recession is going to be the equalizer. It's going to create and actually for people that may be at risk of losing their job, that's the opportunity to take advantage of a lot of the things I talk about here around being entrepreneurial? How can you take control of your own future rather than be at the whim of a single employer? How can you create yourself with skills to create that contract future? So I think what's happening, you know, a lot of the media doesn't really even talk about the gig economy and its impact on where business is going. It talks a lot about traditional measures, right? The labor and the unemployment rate. But you don't hear anybody really talking about really what's going on with these tech companies, contract workers. A lot of what's not being talked about is the a lot of these millennials and Gen Zs are starting companies that are not getting any media attention at all, but are completely changing the world. Yes, recessions create fear. I'm an entrepreneur some of my biggest breakthroughs in business have been through a recession because it forces us to re educate, realign, and refocus on how are we going to create success for ourselves.
0: Well, when we do see stories in the media about part-timers and gig workers and contract workers, it's generally from a negative standpoint. Exactly. The way they're being treated, the way they're not considered to be equal to the full-time workforce in a big tech company like Google, for instance, or the way that Uber drivers are not making enough money to even pay their bills, it's always cast in a very negative light. But you seem to be suggesting that there is definitely a positive light here that we are not really paying enough attention to.
1: That is what I'm saying. And an Uber driver is a great example. I use Uber all over the world wherever i travel i've talked to hundreds of uber drivers and all of them say this is one thing i do to generate revenue it's not the only thing i do so when the focus is on oh they're not being paid enough or that it's gig work they are and by the way you know uber drivers are negotiating a better split of revenue and all of that stuff and i do believe that will improve but we are also in an age of uncertainty where there is no regulation right now around healthcare benefits for gig workers like this and it's because it's a new trend that's happening. So I do believe in the next few years that there's going to be more of a what are the opportunities for gig workers to have healthcare coverage? What are the opportunities for them to earn a maximum amount of money so that they can pay their bills and live in a decent lifestyle with their families? Whenever you have new breakthroughs in anything, there's an adjustment period, a transition period of how do we make this even better. I get really frustrated with the imbalance of reporting around what's really going on in the world of work and the world of business.
0: Anytime we have a trend that disrupts an industry and threatens the jobs in that industry, I mean, for a moment, let's step outside of retail and look at automotive or U.S. manufacturing. All jobs lost, whether it was because of automation, whether it was because of outsourcing, whatever. You always have a conversation about reskilling. And it seems to me that sometimes it's easier to talk about it than it is to do it. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the actual real Challenge of reskilling and what that would really take to take a worker who has been doing one job, completely train them to do something else. That might be an older worker too that may not be quite so susceptible to that sort of change. So, what is the real challenge of reskilling?
1: The real challenge of reskilling is in the past, employers never felt the impetus to reskill because things were not moving as quickly as they are now. I'm talking the decades mm-hmm. of the 80s and 90s. If you wanted to reskill, the impetus was on the employee, right? You had to go seek those learning opportunities. So now what the World Economic Forum and, and people like Peter Diamandis, who's the founder of Singularity University, what they're saying is employers now have an ethical imperative to help their employees be reskilled. And that means having strategy around it. So measuring and assessing right now what is the work that can be done by automation and machines, what does that leave skills needed by human beings, and how do we transfer knowledge those skills? So, there's some things that are being done now that are helping reskilling. Number one is something called Learnerships, where uh, it originated in South Africa, where education and business are partnering to help existing employees learn new skills or new employees learn skills to, or in order to be successful in their new job faster than before. So, there is a trend towards reskilling. A lot of organizations are recognizing companies like Disney, I'll use Amazon again, Lockheed Martin, they all have their own internal universities. So they're using those internal universities for skilling. And Uber has this as well, their own internal university, where they're helping people learn the skills in order to be future ready. On the other side of that, I think I mentioned earlier that there is sort of a take charge of your future part here, where as individuals, we consistently reskill. And I think it's Peter Diamandis who said that anybody who graduates with a degree today, that degree is redundant with. Six months to a year, unless you're constantly learning and reskilling as you go along. Mm-hmm. So I think we're in a new era of consistent lifelong learning versus in the past you got a degree. And that degree set you up for the rest of your life. That's not the future reality we're dealing with anymore.
0: And it's interesting that you put a lot of the responsibility for change on leaders, on business leaders, because it seems to me, I don't know if you agree with me on this, but it seems to me that there are a large percentage of leaders out there who look at automation and AI and robotics purely as a means of cutting labor costs, streamlining and getting products made more cheaply. Clearly, you're suggesting we need leaders who have a much broader perspective of the technology than that. But isn't it? true that there are a lot who are still stuck in that mindset
1: absolutely and that's my biggest passion is helping leaders see beyond the paradigm of treating humans like robots because this is what this junction of opportunity we are at and leaders have the greatest opportunity to influence the workplace but also make a positive impact to clients and employees by looking through a people first lens and i'm very passionate and and whether i'm keynote speaking or if i'm coaching or consulting this is where I take the leaders as I say, look, if you're just looking at fixing a problem through technology, you're missing the entire scope of what we're here to do through business. We're here to transform the world through business. And that means focusing on people first. So uh, yeah. you're absolutely right what you say that, that if they're looking through the lens purely of how do we cut corners and costs through automation, and AI, they're missing the complete point of where we're going with the future of work, which is to create better opportunities for people, not yeah. make people be more like robots.
0: And Cheryl, the message has to get through to investors and shareholders too, some of who are also focused exclusively on the bottom line. How did you cut costs this quarter? How much did you make on the bottom line as opposed to, well, maybe you spent a lot of money on training mm-hmm. if in the long term is going to be of advantage, right. but that's bringing our stock price down. Right. So you've got to get that message across too, right? Right.
1: Well, training is, is, needs to be reframed as an investment. In the past, it's been looked at as a cost it costs us money to train people. Well, that is the opposite of what happens when you train people properly. You're actually investing in the future of that company's success. One of the ways that people, are, organizations are reskilling in a very innovative way is through gamification. Companies like Walmart and Lowe's and a lot of retail organizations training safety through gamification where you will get a notification that you're going to learn a safety lesson. It's a five-minute game you play the game, you learn the lesson, and once you complete it, you get stars, and those stars are earned towards greater learning achievements. So mm-hmm. some organizations are being very progressive with this reskill, upskill, this training element that you say, and they're actually seeing it as an investment, and they're seeing their stock prices respond to this investment. We're shifting away from that, like you said, that whole focus on profits at any cost. And I think we're seeing business through a more sustainable model. What is a sustainable business? You and I know the risks of growth at any cost. That is not a sustainable model. Business of the future is around growth that sustains the business, grows for the benefit of our shareholders, but also benefits our clients and our employees.
0: Well, that's a really good message to, we hope it gets through to all of these individuals on all sides of the fence. I like your description of what we're looking at, a very human future with robots, AI, and automation. That's very uh, encouraging. In any case, though, Cheryl, again, you are the author of Next Mapping, Anticipate, Navigate, and Create the Future of Work. I will link to that book in the show notes to this episode. But Cheryl Cran, thanks so much for uh, this fascinating conversation about the future of work. I really appreciate your being with us today. Thank you.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: That was my conversation with Cheryl Cran, talking about the future of work in the age of AI, robotics, and automation. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at scbrain.